everybody it is drags mike petralia back with another episode of the jungle roar podcast it is available wherever you download your favorite audio podcast also available on the youtube network the jungle roar podcast youtube page want to hear all of your comments good bad and indifferent so click on that link below subscribe and let us know what you think back with this episode of the podcast i am joined by andrew gillis of cleveland.com doing a spectacular job in his first season covering the cincinnati bengals uh, for cleveland.com you can also catch him on the strictly stripes podcast with muhammad ahmad and the one and only mike nizalik how you doing andrew i'm doing good uh this is a little bit different than the last time we did it i think it was after the dallas game uh, that we did this oh, yeah. uh they're in a little bit of a different situation uh, the Bengals are right now so a little bit different tone you can also by the way follow Andrew on uh, Twitter at Andrew underscore Gillis G-I-L-L-I-S seven zero so be sure to do that a much different uh posture for these Cincinnati Bengals I thought they were a talented team, even at 0-2. I really, you know, and I'm not trying to play fanboy here, but I knew that this team was capable of getting on track. All good teams that I've seen over the years that get off to slow starts, they take their time. They know how good they are. They just have to figure it out. And they have the confidence in the quarterback and the coaching staff to figure it out. To me, that's where really the turnaround began is internally in that locker room. When they say there was no panic, I believe them. There was not a bit of panic in that locker room. Yeah, I mean, and it's not just that they, I mean, you could say, oh, you know, they lost these games. You know, they were 0-2, they were 2-3. and They lost Pittsburgh, you know, in overtime on a walk-off field goal. Probably win that game if their long snapper doesn't get hurt. You lose in Dallas on a walk-off field goal. You lose in Baltimore on a walk-off field goal. Like, You've, your first five games, you lose three walk-off field goals. And, you know, I mean, we all talked about this at the time, like, hey, this is going to come This is gonna come back to bite them at the end of the season because there's no way this team's going to win eight regular season games in a row. You know, we, you know, even if they had a strong finish, we figured this might hurt them. Right. Um, and it, it really didn't, as, as it turned out. Um, you know, those I think those, those losses kind of gave us, um, you know, kind of hints as to how close this team was especially because you look at their schedule just kind of as a whole, they lost one game that they weren't competitive in. Uh, and you could really kind of make some excuses for that too, um, considering that was their first game without Jamar. Uh, it was a Monday night game against the Browns. Where it was only 8 nothing at halftime. Like you can really kind of nitpick their schedule, but they, they have been really, really close all year. And I mean, now, like you said, you, you kind of see how good they really can be. No question. And, you know, I want to spend some time here focusing on their defensive coordinator, Lou Anarumo. Over that eight-game regular season winning streak, and obviously the two now in the postseason, their defense has really been, to me, what has carried them. Joe Burrow is an all-world quarterback. There is no disputing that. And I'm not sitting here saying, you know, their defense is the best aspect of the team. Without Lou Anarumo coming up with different game plans week to week and having his team fully buying in, which is what I'm writing for CLNS Media uh, on Tuesday leading into Wednesday, um, Lou Anarumo is the mad scientist, as Eli Apple called him after the win uh, in Buffalo on Sunday. He does so many things to get this defense in the right positions, and he's overcome injuries to DJ Reader, who did obviously come back and 
uh, was a big contributing factor of the defense uh, toward the end of the season. But he lost Cheeto Awuzie for the year, his shutdown corner, his cornerback that was having an all-pro season. And when you talk about the teams that the Bengals had on the back end of the schedule, the second half of the season, I don't think anybody could have imagined the defense turning it up a notch the way they did. Yeah, I mean, you look at, like, I'm glad you said that because you look at the schedule. You play the Titans and Derrick Henry. You play the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. You play the Browns and Nick Chubb. I mean, Tom Brady this year was not obviously the best for the Buccaneers, but they're still really talented offensively. Um, you know, you play the Ravens who could run the ball really effectively. Like, you, you can go down the line and, and look at different things. And, you know, I have the schedule right in front of me. They've allowed 20, more, 20 or more points once since they played the Chiefs on, uh, on December 4th. And that was against the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, you know, you could point to some things. You know, the Ravens were at the goal line and they knocked the ball out. But that's what this defense has done all year. They've made those plays when their backs are up against the wall. You know, you think of the Jermaine Pratt fumbles, uh, fumble recovery, the strip of Travis Kelsey at home, uh, the Logan Wilson play where he bats the ball out and Hubbard takes it 99 yards. Like this defense has done all of those things because they are incredibly well coached. Uh, it's a credit to Anna Rumo because he, you know, you look at, especially this past game in Buffalo, Josh Allen threw for 265 yards. I looked at that at the end of the game. I don't know about you, Trags. And I was like, I was kind of surprised to see 265. It didn't feel like it. No, it, it did not feel like 265. Uh, he threw for more yards than Burrow did. It, again, did not feel like it. Uh, you know, they, they just did such a good job of taking away the things that the Bills like to do. And I think that's what kind of Anna Rumo does that, you know, other great defensive minds in the league have done. Like, you know, you think of Bill Belichick, you think of some other guys, we're going to take away your number one option. And if you can beat us with your second and third and fourth guys, so be it. But, you know, Stephon Diggs, what do you have? Four catches, 35 yards. They really tried their best and they did their best to take those guys out of the game. And when you do that, you make teams flustered. You make teams have to adjust on the fly. And that's what I think the Bengals have been so good at over these last couple of weeks. Four catches, 10 targets, Andrew, for Stephon. Yeah, oh, yeah. They targeted him. There was no question about that. I have actually the stat sheet in front of me. I'm glad you brought that up. So when you take a look at the numbers from Buffalo on Sunday, uh, 10 targets, four, only four catches for Stephon Diggs um, in terms of Gabe Davis. I would never have thought this going in. Two catches, four targets, 34 yards. Here's you bring up Bill Belichick about, you know, the old staple of I'm going to take away your number one weapon and you're going to have to find other ways to win. Here's something else Bill Belichick used to love to do. And I saw it in Super Bowl 36 with the greatest show on turf with that Rams offense. What did he do? What did he tell his defensive backs to do? beat the shit out of the wide receivers. That's what the Bengals did to the Bills on Sunday. They absolutely beat up Stefan Diggs and Gabe Davis. And how about Cam Taylor Britt telling us, you know, in a Zoom call on Monday, receivers are soft. And he wasn't just talking about the Bills receivers. He thinks that receivers in general, that's his mindset going into games that receivers are soft. If you get physical with them, you knock them off their route early in their route, they're going to get frustrated. And it, it's fascinating to me that a guy, a rookie out of Nebraska coming into the NFL has that kind of um, cachet 
mentally to execute that. I, I just found that fascinating. And the fact that you have Eli Apple and Cam Taylor Britt, two guys who you can criticize their technique all you want. Certainly people will do that with Eli Apple. And, you know, when he bit on the route uh, in the Ravens game and got burned for the touchdown by, I believe, Demarcus Ro uh, Robinson. Right? Yeah, it was Ravens Robinson. Yeah, uh, for that touchdown. He took heat. He's fearless, though, and so is Cam Taylor Britt. Uh, and that's why I think the Bengals have a chance because their cornerbacks are like, we may give, give up a play or two. A, there's going to be people behind us um, who have our back, the, the safeties. And B, we're going to bounce back on the next play. Yeah, and I think one of the things that, uh, you know, Lou talked about it uh, to, to us yesterday when we were in the room, you know, when on that Cam Taylor-Britt play where he got beat by Gabe Davis off the line of scrimmage, you've kind of been waiting for Cam Taylor-Britt to start to make these plays because he's got the athleticism. You know, he ran a 4-3-8 at the combine. You When you've got that recovery speed, it allows you just that much more, uh, you know, that the little extra boost that you need where you can, you can take a chance because you can make up for it. It right. gives you that extra um, that extra room for error. And and I think that once Cam Taylor Britt has kind of settled into this role, you've kind of seen him get better and better throughout the year just as you progress as a rookie. Because remember, like you said, when you lose Cheeto, Cam Taylor Britt was not supposed to be in this role. You know, Cam Taylor Britt was supposed to be kind of the guy, a little bit like a Dax Hill role where, you know, you learn throughout the year, you sub in when Eli or Cheeto gets hurt. Exactly. Yeah, and this was supposed to be kind of that year for Cam, and and I think you've seen him get better. And with that athleticism, that's I mean that's really really big for him. But you know the 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 DBs absolutely like you're right did a bang up job against against Diggs and Davis and all those guys on uh, on Sunday. So you've been in all those sit downs with Anna Rumo throughout the season. We you know just some inside baseball to the audience here. Um, our coordinators, Bengals coordinators, will come in. Uh, both Brian Callahan and Lou Anarumo and sometimes Darren Simmons and sit down with us at the table. And uh, we, we ask them about different strategies. We ask them about different philosophies, who's playing well, who's not playing well, who needs to improve. The thing that I've noticed, Andrew, is that every time he's been asked about Cam Taylor Britt, he's very cautious in showering yeah. him with praise but I do get the sense he loves the way Cam Taylor Britt plays. He's physical. He's fearless. He doesn't care. He's going to go back. He's going, he's going to work hard in the film room. He's very studious. And I think Lou deep down respects the kid and loves the kid the way he plays. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I've thought that exact same thing too, because I think you've, you know, always, you know, what, what, Lou, tell me about Cam Taylor Britt. Oh, he's playing well. You know, he's getting better. He's and then it's, it's, yeah, he's improving. Yeah. There's always something like that. And I think what that, you know, you mentioned it right there. Cam Taylor Britt is a really confident kid, and you need to have that if, you, if you're going to play this position in this league. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of, you don't want him to get too confident because, again, oh. he's still learning. And I think that that's a great way to do that because you don't want Cam Taylor Britt to read, you know, defensive coordinator quote, oh, he's great. He's doing this, he's doing that. You need to keep him motivated throughout the year, and I think that's a great way to do it. But I agree. I think uh, I think the Bengals really, really like what they have in Cam Taylor Britt. The other thing about Cam Taylor Britt, I think even if you did say that about him, he strikes me as somebody who has a really good head on his shoulders, and he wouldn't yeah. Oh, yeah. get that full of himself. Um, I love e Eli Apple. Love talking to him, smoking a cigar after a playoff victory. 
Eli's a different cat. And if you said that about Eli, maybe it could, you know, be interpreted the wrong way. Maybe Eli could take it the wrong way. Um, what do you think of the way Eli Apple's been playing? Because I don't think he gets enough credit for just doing the simple things and the solid things that uh, Luana Rumo has been asking him to do. I think for the most part, he's done a solid job. Is he a Pro Bowl shutdown corner? No, that's not, you know, what he is. But I think he's done a very commendable job. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, I think if you kind of just survey people around the league, people kind of act like he's the worst corner to ever walk the earth. Um, you know, I mean, and I think part of that is just, you know, when he goes on Twitter and he starts tweeting out Josh that's Allen right. and Stephon Diggs couples therapy, I think people like just just like to dunk on him. I think people just like to make fun of him. They just like to kind of, you know, oh, you know, here's here's this guy, you know, who's talking a lot of trash. And like, listen, like, and I'm sure Eli understands this. If you talk a lot of trash and then it goes sideways, it's coming back. Like, it, that's just the way it works. Right. And I and I think people just like to do that. But I think Eli's played pretty well this year um, because, you know, you can kind of look at the we've, – we've talked about this too. The defense, they don't have a Jalen Ramsey, Aaron Donald, uh, you know, Fred Warner type of player that is a top one, two player at the position. They just have a lot of really solid guys that do their role. And Eli plays a really good job into that. And I think that, you know, I, I've seen some people say that, you know, when you look back to New York and Carolina, New Orleans, he, he's playing the best of the playing the best football of his career. Um, you know, I, I don't know about all that, but he's playing at a level that is allowing the Bengals to, uh, you know, to kind of do what they want. And I think that's just as important as, uh, you know, is kind of playing a superstar role here. You mentioned the the you put numbers on where players rank at their position. You just talked about that. Right. What do you think of the fact that the latest postseason awards uh, for the regular season uh, right. play came out and the pro football writers came out with their ballot and uh, we're both members of that. And just like the AP all pro team, not a single Bengal on it. And I think some fans, you know, think that's disrespect. I think other fans don't have a big problem with it because the Bengals don't have, at least on defense, have any yeah. spectacular, clear number one players. What they do have is they have a lot of two, three, and fours who are damn, uh, first of all, very competent, very good, very reliable, uh, and incredibly well coached and right. understand what their responsibility is on the field. I mean, Sam Hubbard, I mean, uh, Lou Anarumo talked about this yesterday. Who talks about, uh, you know, pushing a run to the cloud side coverage uh, in a zone defense, for instance? Who does that after on a plane ride home from a playoff win? Well, the Bengals do. And I think, you know, Zach Taylor has talked, Andrew, all, being all about ball. That's what the Bengals have. They have a lot of players like that. I think DJ Reader is a top three defensive tackle in football. I think Sam Hubbard is a top five defensive end in football because he sets the edge so well and he plays so consistently well. Um, I think Von Bell doesn't get enough credit as a safety. And I think Logan Wilson is a top five linebacker in the NFL. Yeah. I mean, you, I, you know, that absolutely. And, and I think, one of the one of the things when you you mentioned the you know the all pro teams and things like that you know I think the outrage and and the things where people you know that looks a little funny that there's no Bengals I think that lasts until you look at the team and you go 
Oh, I, I get that. You know, like, like, you know, you could say, okay, maybe Jamar over Tyreek. You know, I think there are people that would say you can make a very reasonable case that Jamar should be above Tyreek, but Jamar was hurt. You know, Jamar missed five games this year like that. And when you, when you miss, you know, almost a third of the season, it's hard to make these type of teams. Um, you know, you look at, you know, you mentioned the, the linebacker, you got the three linebackers on the PFWA team, Fred Warner, Michael Parsons, Hassan Reddick. Like it's, you know, it, it, like they're hard to, to kind of disagree Understood. with. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, but I, you're right. Like the defense has kind of been doing it with, you know, it's the no weak links, no weak links defense, you know, where there's not really a defense where, you know, the, the chiefs are probably sitting around going, you know, they probably have their areas. We want to attack this. We want to attack that, but you're not sitting there going, we have to go after this because it's such a glaring weakness. Like the Bengals, I think have done a really good job of kind of shoring everything up and making sure that, you know, when, whenever you have to game plan for them, it's hard to do because there's not really an area that's glaring. Speaking with Andrew Gillis, he does a great job covering the Bengals and the NFL for cleveland.com slash Bengals. If you want to head over there and catch the uh, coverage, he also does a fabulous job as a co-host on the Strictly Stripes podcast, covering all things Cincinnati Bengals for cleveland.com with Mohammed Ahmad and Mike Nizalik. Uh, be sure to download the latest episodes uh, throughout the playoffs, wherever you download your favorite podcasts. All right, uh, back with Andrew Gillis here. And I want to, we haven't mentioned Joe Burrow, who only started nine for nine, 105 yards and two touchdowns on the first. Only, only nine of nine? <laughs> on the first two drives on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. Um, probably as good a start as the Bengals have ever had in their playoff history to any playoff game. Yeah, I mean, it, you know what? It was kind of crazy because going into that game, uh, I, I mean, you, you noticed this as well. I think everybody noticed this. Buffalo is is a really difficult place to play. It's snowing. It's Everybody knew it was the last home game for the Bills of the season because the Chiefs won the day before. You, you just kind of expected the energy to be there from the Bills. And the Bengals really went down the field like it was nothing. They drove right down the field and scored. Um, you know, and, and the the start, I mean, when you go up 7 nothing, and the other team with Josh Allen hasn't touched the ball, and then you go up 14 nothing when that quarterback has touched the ball three times, that is a really, really dangerous hole to play from or play behind from. Because, you know, it, it's one thing if it's a team with an average quarterback or whatever. This team is not a team with an average quarterback, when you have an offense that can score like this, that is just so difficult to play from behind from, um, you know, earlier in the year, I, I was kind of not on board with the take the ball first and try to get out to a lead. I, I didn't necessarily agree with it. I like the double up strategy. Now I think this is the, the perfect strategy for this team, considering how well the defense is playing and how good the offense is. That's just something you have to do. But yeah, I mean, Burrow was was unconscious for those first, especially. I mean, really, he was great all game, but those first couple of drives, oh my gosh, he was unbelievable. So, as you know, I don't know if you've heard this, but I covered the Patriots and uh, Tom <laughs> Brady, and many times in the 2010s, Andrew, I went into Buffalo, and the storylines into those games was following. This is the year the Bills put their foot down on the Patriots finally step up to big brother and show that the bills are going to be right there with the Patriots. And we're going to beat up the Patriots at our home in Orchard park back then Ralph Wilson stadium. 
And sure enough, Tom Brady would come in and do precisely what Burrow did on Sunday. He'd march down the field. He'd be like 10 of 11 for 115 yards, two touchdowns, get up on the Bills, 14-0, 21-3, game over. And, they, and the Bills crowd would be immediately taken out of it. And you could sense there on Sunday with Joe Burrow and the crowd that they felt the same way that those Bills fans did back when Brady would always come in to Orchard Park. The, the opposing quarterback has the ability, if he's on his game, to suck all the wind out of the home team's field and their fans. And that's what Burrow did such an amazing job of on Sunday. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, we mentioned the the opening and we mentioned the start. Um, and, and obviously he was great during that period, don't get me wrong. But, you know, he used his legs, I thought, really effectively when he had to. Um, he had a few scrambles where he just kind of realized nobody was there and took off and ran. Um, but then, like, even after those first two drives, I mean, like, credit to him for finding the guy. But Jamar Chase and Hayden Hurst were wide open. But that throw to Jamar Chase that was the touchdown that wasn't a touchdown was unbelievable. That was uh, that was maybe one of the best. That was maybe his best throw of the year. Um, that was absolutely stunning how, how well he placed that ball. Um, and then he had another really underrated throw, I thought. Uh, I think it was the play there where it was definitely to Hayden Hurst where Hurst le- – I think it was the play yes. where Hurst leaped over the defender. There was a closing safety. You had a safety coming from the other side, and you had a linebacker dropping, and he just dropped it right in the bucket, right on time, right where it needed to was be. Was it the pass I over the that- middle? Yes. I know the pass you're talking because Yeah, I thought that was remarkably impressive, and, and obviously that's not going to get some of the credit that the, that the Jamar throw makes, and obviously rightfully right. so. But he, w- when you have a quarterback that's on one – I don't know what you do as a defense other than throw your hands up and say, like, what do you want me to do here? So what was interesting about that, I was sitting next to James Rapine uh, in the press box, and he he mentioned something to me about it looked like Hurst was wide open until you watch uh, the replay. Hurst was not, from our back end, because just to give everybody a perspective of where we were in the press box. Essentially, we had the all 22 look from a corner of the end zone, but we were looking straight down the field and it looked like Hurst was open. What we didn't see were the two defensive backs or it was a linebacker and defensive back um, covering that zone that Burrow had to throw over the defenders and underneath the safety and hit Hayden Hurst in stride, just to give perspective to what you were talking about on that throw. It was a remarkable throw. Yeah, it just I like I I remember watching that. We take and it being, for granted, I guess, Andrews. Yeah, like I remember watching that, and I remember kind of thinking like that looked impressive because again, like you said, like there was nobody within four four ish yards of Hayden Hurst. Like that, you know, theoretically he wasn't covered, quote unquote, covered. You know, he was there weren't there wasn't anybody was running him. free, but he was yeah, free in the covered zone. He just does that. And you're like, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, the, I mean, the thing about this Bengals offense that is that is so elite is that you've got T Higgins that makes one handed sideline catches and Tyler Boyd almost had a, a one handed catch on a, another great throw. But, uh, you know, Tyler Boyd reaches out, almost makes a great one handed catch down the seam like this team, like it. it they're so talented. It's it's kind of crazy that 
when when Burrow doesn't put the ball in a perfect spot, you've got the receivers that have the ability to beat a guy one on one just because that's how that's how talented they are. Um, you know, it, it, they're I mean, I, I just don't know there. Sometimes you look at it as, as a defense and say, OK, you know, here, here and here you could point out. But the offensive line held up. and They did a great job. And when Burrow's on like that, I just don't know how uh, it's not stopping. I get you just try to mitigate it as best you can, I guess. I'm not sure what's the what's the fix for that. So it was snowing on Sunday in Buffalo and right. it looked really pretty. It's going to be cold as you know what on Sunday in Kansas. Ugh. And I hope you have uh, your parka, your gloves, your hand warmers, your foot warmers, long underwear, whatever you need to get through the game. It's going to be a cold one. Uh, fortunately, we're not on the field, uh, but the players and coaches will be. And the reason I say this is the Bengals, as important as it was to get off to a good start, against the Bills, I think it's equally important to get off to a good start against a banged-up Patrick Mahomes because what you don't want to do in that game on Sunday is turn it into a meat grinder where the Chiefs say, okay, we don't need Patrick Mahomes to do everything for us. Let's just try to make sure the Bengals don't beat us with huge plays. And I think for the Bengals to get out in a, to a, let's say, a 10 nothing. 13-3 type of lead, 17-3 lead, 17-7, whatever, like yeah. they did on Sunday. That will put more of the onus on Patrick Mahomes to really move around and make plays, essentially playing on one foot. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see, you know, we were talking about Lou earlier. I'm really curious to see what this game plan is and kind of how it differs from the regular season game this year, the AFC title game last year, right. because it's it's unique because, again, like we – we kind of joked about this yesterday, me and some other people. Patrick Mahomes, like I understand Bengals fans, you know, get tired of hearing about how good Patrick Mahomes is because they have their own great quarterback. But Patrick Mahomes on one leg is still really good. Like he can still throw the ball as a really, really efficient pocket passer. But I'm curious what Lou dials up in the way that, you know, one of the things that makes Mahomes as good as he is, is that he can roll out and then throw it across his body 40 yards down the field. I'm curious to see what they do because you know we've seen them spy Hubbard we've seen them spy Logan we've seen them spy Hendrickson we've seen those guys drop back into coverage we've seen all different types of things that the Bengals have done against Mahomes I wonder if this week early on you don't see some unique pressures stunts blitzes whatever it is to try and get after him and force him to move around to see you know it's a little bit uh, and you'll get this reference it's a little bit like when Schilling pitched with the bloody sock you got to bunt at least one or two times to see if he can move. Because if he the, can't move, you know you got him. Uh, apparently the Yankees didn't get that memo. And the Yankees didn't get that memo, exactly. Um, but you're absolutely right. I would expect Anarumo to dial up more blitzes. Uh, you, you might see Mike Hilton a lot more early in the game on the corner um, or some other blitzes that Mahomes and Andy Reid and Eric Bieniemy haven't seen on film. Uh, this is the time to do it. This is the time to show some uh, extravagant, um, you know, exotic is the football term, exotic blitzes, and maybe even ghost 
some blitzes and 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 disguise them and then drop back. Uh, but you have to make Patrick Mahomes think that he's going to have to run for his life a little bit. And you know their offensive line is good, but not again like Buffalo. I think there are holes there, and I think you know certainly Joe Tooney is a terrific guard, and uh, we know that Creed Humphrey is a you know an All Pro caliber type of center. But I think the Bengals can make hay a little bit like they did against the Bills. You want to get after Mahomes. You want to make sure that if that ankle is hurting, he has to run and throw. That makes him a much less effective passer. Um, I want to get your feel on uh, what you think is going to happen Sunday and if the Bengals are going to be going to the Super Bowl again. Yeah, um, you know, it's... I, I've been thinking about it all week and like the line, I think the, I mean, what I always say is Vegas is smarter than I am when it comes to these things, uh, except for last week. Yep. Um, but you know, most times they're right. Uh, and I think the line, it started as chiefs minus a point and a half. And now it's Bengals like minus one and a half. Like Vegas is telling us this game is going to be, you know, 28, 24, 27, 20. This is going to be another remarkably close game. Um, my my head tells me the Bengals. My head tells me the Bengals are going to go to the Super Bowl again. Um, they're going to go into Arrowhead, or as some of the Bengals players said, Burrowhead, and they're going to beat the Chiefs. Um, I, I just think that this team is playing with such confidence right now. But there is a part of me that thinks, you know, it is uh, – and I understand the Bengals aren't looking at it this way, but statistically, it's just hard to beat a team in this league four times in a row especially when this team is really good because again, like, you know, we, we all credit to the offensive line for how well they played against the bills, but they've got to hold up again, assuming you're not going to have Jonah and Kappa, you know, you, you need that to hold up. Um, You still have to play Patrick Mahomes. I understand Mahomes might be limited, but he's still really good. Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in football. He's, he can wreck a game. So there are still things that, you know, have to go the Bengals way, but my, I lean Bengals right now. I don't feel great about it yet. Um, I'm not going to feel great about my prediction, but I do think right now in my head, I think the Bengals are going back to the Super Bowl. So I, as I want to do, and I've already done it on this podcast once already today, um, like a Tom Brady uh, analogy and reference here. And Tom Brady beat Peyton Manning the first six times they played each other. I see the same kind of storyline unfolding uh, this time with a banged up Patrick Mahomes. If he is genuinely banged up, um, I just don't see Chad Henney coming in and saving the day for Kansas City Chiefs. Um, I I think there are many factors going in the Bengals' favor, including a vibe and a confidence that they're playing with. I don't think they're overly confident or cocky per se, but I think they have a feel like if we're playing our game, nobody's going to beat us. And I think that's incredibly powerful. I think the Bengals go into Arrowhead. They get it done. Um And, you know, the other thing I would say, the other reference I would bring up from the way long ago, uh, long before your time, Andrew Gillis, is uh, the Steelers had it over the Oakland Raiders for many, many years in the championship game. uh, And it took, you know, five or six chances for the Raiders to finally break through and beat the Steelers when it mattered most. Um, And that's kind of how I see this uh, developing on Sunday. I really see... Uh, the Bengals winning, I think by a good touchdown or so, maybe even 10 points. Uh, If if they don't turn the ball, if the Bengals do not turn the ball over, they are not losing this game. They're going to win. 
Also, tell our audience where they can follow you and uh, get your latest uh, material and content uh, covering the Bengals. Yeah, uh, so you can read everything I write, cleveland.com slash Bengals. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Andrew underscore Gillis70. Um, the, the Twitter part, uh, I hope you have fun because I try to make it fun. Because uh, Twitter, it's becoming such a disaster, as Trags well knows. Uh, Twitter is not his favorite place in the world. Uh, so I try to make it fun. I hope you have some fun there. But yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for shout out, Trags. I appreciate it. You are the best, Andrew. He is <laughs> Andrew Gillis. Be sure to follow him at all of the sites that he just mentioned. Does a great job covering the Cincinnati Bengals for cleveland.com backslash. Bengals. He's Andrew Gillis. My name is Mike Petralia. Again, be sure to click on the link below if you're on following us on YouTube on the Jungle Roar podcast YouTube page. Want to hear all of your comments, good, bad, and indifferent. Until next week, he's Andrew Gillis. I'm Mike Petralia. Thanks for watching.